WSJM News Now. This is the 5 o'clock News Block on News Talk Sports 94.9 WSJM. Brought to you by Special Light in Decatur and Benton Harbor. There's a good chance you've walked through a Special Light door when you go to a local restaurant, school, store, or plant in the newsroom. I'm Andrew Green. The $180 rebate checks proposed for Michigan taxpayers by Governor Gretchen Whitmer will not be happening. The Michigan Senate yesterday approved a Democratic tax plan, but without enough votes for it to take immediate effect, meaning the checks will not be issued. State Senator Eric Nesbitt tells us the governor had pitched the checks as a way to avoid allowing an automatic income tax cut to take effect. He doesn't think the $180 checks were a good idea anyway. The governor's plan to give a one-time rebate that included a marriage penalty that if you were married, you'd only get $90, but if you're a single, you'd get $180. I think it was a wrong plan for Michigan, and that's part of the reason why Senate Republicans stuck together to make sure that we provide long-term tax relief. Nesbitt says residents will benefit more in the long run with the tax cut over the checks. Plus, he says it'll make Michigan more attractive to business. Going from 4.25% to 4.05% is a huge savings for small business owners across the state. Under a 2015 state law, if Michigan sees revenue growth above a certain threshold, then the state income tax would automatically be reduced from 4.25% to 4.05%. The $180 check proposal from the governor would have prevented that, something Nesbitt calls a shell game. He expects a formal announcement on the income tax cut within weeks. Benton Harbor Mayor Marcus Mohammed says the city is in transition and on the move. He gave his annual State of the City address last night, saying after millions of dollars coming to the community and much work to replace lead water lines, the city is facing a new day. The state of the city of Benton Harbor is strong. We have come through tragedy, trial, and tribulation. But the city of Benton Harbor is a very resilient people. And although we've come through a financial crisis, we've come through a educational crisis, we've come through a water crisis, but we've come out as a shining light and an example that the nation is studying. Mohammed noted the city's received $36.7 million for lead-related work. He said $6.1 million remains to be used for water plant improvements, with another $21.4 million planned for broader distribution system work. Mohammed also announced some proposals for honorary street names last night, including part of Colfax Avenue to be in honor of Ann Hare, who led the beginning of affirmative action at Whirlpool. The Lakeshore Excellence Foundation has announced this year's distinguished alumni will be Bob Adkins of the class of 1958. Lakeshore Alumni Association President Chad DJ tells us Adkins was the very first graduate to be handed a Lakeshore diploma at a commencement that year. After high school, he moved to Alaska and became a long and began a long career in education and photography. DJ says Adkins is a fitting choice for the honor. When you find individuals like this that graduate from the small small community like Stevensville, and there's probably more out there all over the world, and we try to seek them and hopefully get nominations for them and be able to reward them. Over the years, Adkins has captained his own commercial fishing boat and sat in the cockpit of a Haines Airways plane where he served as a bush and taxi pilot as well as, as a commercial pilot. His photographs have been published hundreds of times. Everything he's done, I mean, not only his career, but hobbies and stuff like that, just how he had the time to fit that. I was wondering when he slept. That was kind of my first question to him because it seemed like he's just done so much. DJ says Adkins will be at the June commencement and will address students. There will also be a reception for him. Adkins, tracked down in Alaska, says he can't, quote, begin to express how grateful and humbled I am to have been chosen for such an award. 
Congressman Bill Heisinga has sent a letter to U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm to express concerns about the Department of Energy's work with the Rocky Mountain Institute, which he says has Chinese connections. Heisinga tells us the group has pushed for a ban on gas stoves, and he wants to know more about its talks with federal officials. Well, it turns out that Rocky Mountain Institute has ties into the Chinese Communist Party, literally. And they've been very tied in with a number of Chinese programs dealing with green energy. Heisinger says that he introduced a bill that would have prevented a federal ban on gas stoves. Although he says he took some flack for it, he doesn't think assurances from the White House that it's not looking for a ban on gas stoves ring true. I think that's absolutely their goal. That absolutely is their goal. And if we don't go in and push back and push back hard right now, they would just allow it to move forward and move forward and move forward. Heisinger's Stove Act was introduced in January. He says he wants more information from the Biden administration about its meetings with the Rocky Mountain Institutes and other groups that want gas stove bans. Meanwhile, Congressman Tim Wahlberg is hailing House passage of legislation intended to prevent inflation and increase transparency with presidential executive orders. Wahlberg says the reduce exacerbated inflation negatively impacting the nation or rain in act would require the Office of Management and Budget to publish the inflationary effects of executive orders before they're enacted. Today we passed a key piece of legislation, the Rain in Inflation Act, uh, to help strengthen our economy by requiring much needed transparency from the executive branch on inflationary effects of its actions. Wahlberg says a spending spree by the president has increased inflation. Wahlberg represents Michigan's 5th congressional district, which includes the counties of Branch, Cass, Hillsdale, Jackson, Lenawee, Monroe, St. Joseph, and parts of Berrien, Calhoun, and Kalamazoo. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources has announced 35 projects statewide that will share $3.5 million in grants through the Michigan Invasive Species Grant Program to prevent the spread of invasives. The funding covers all counties. DNR Invasive Species Communications Coordinator Joanne Foreman tells us for Southwest Michigan, the South by Southwest CISMA is a recipient. They are carrying on a lot of both survey and treatment of some key species that are priorities in that area. This year we are also providing a grant to the Bokagan Band of Potawatomi Indian, and they are working to survey for some of those watch list species, especially those related to trees. The Bokagans will be doing that work in forests around the band's property. Foreman says it's important to prevent invasives before they get a foothold and end up damaging the ecosystem and costing even more. She points to the emerald ash borer as an invasive insect that caused extensive damage across the state. And businesses around southwest Michigan are being invited to join the Southwest Michigan Tourist Council at no cost to expand their marketing outreach. The council says it has eliminated its membership dues. Director Marcy Simpson says they want to, quote, add as many choices to our base as we can before the busy summer season so visitors can have the best possible experiences while they're here. The Southwestern Michigan Tourist Council gives members greater advertising leverage than they may be able to afford on their own. The council says a listing on its website reaches hundreds of thousands of people each year. Many tourists go to the site to research attractions before they head to the region. The council has run ads around the country, giving Southwest Michigan extra publicity. Any business interested in joining the Tourist Council can check out its website. WSJM News Now continues with your Bloomberg Report. WSJM News Now continues, brought to you by Imperial Furniture in Dwozhak, where furniture shopping is fun. 
In the Senate, there is bipartisan consensus that more needs to be done to improve rail safety. ABC's Dave Packer has more. Some of the questions in Ohio after the East Palestine derailment, why wasn't the state made aware of the hazardous payload coming through? And why didn't the crew learn sooner of the overheating wheel bearing that led to the crash? The bipartisan Senate bill would inform states of hazardous materials on board and require them to submit an emergency response plan. And it would establish more devices on the side of tracks to monitor passing trains for equipment issues and increase train inspections. Emergency workers are searching through flattened, burned-out carriages for survivors and bodies after a passenger train and a freight train crashed head-on in central Greece. The collision just before midnight today killed at least 43 people and injured scores. It was the country's deadliest rail crash on record. The Greek transport minister resigned today, saying he felt it was his duty to step down. The cause of the crash was not immediately clear, but the station master at the train's last stop was arrested. Survivors said the impact threw several passengers into the ceilings and through the windows of train cars. Last night, the House Committee looking into the U.S. relationship with China held its first hearing. The committee says it will investigate everything from the origins of COVID-19 to TikTok to human rights with The committee chair, Mike Gallagher of Indiana, saying the U.S. is in an existential struggle with China. ABC's Jay O'Brien has more. Every single member of that committee was there from start to finish, both Republicans and Democrats. That is something that's uncommon in your typical congressional hearing. People usually go in and out, but they don't stay for the whole thing other than the top Democrat and top Republican on the committee. All of that was a means to show the American people, the committee says, that they take this issue of confronting China here in Congress seriously. The committee saying... Their work has only just begun. U.S. intelligence agencies say they cannot link a foreign adversary to any of the incidents associated with what's known as Havana syndrome. The hundreds of cases of brain injuries and other symptoms reported by American personnel around the world. The findings released today by the U.S. intelligence officials cast doubt on the longstanding suspicions by many who reported cases that Russia or another country may have been running a global campaign to harass or attack Americans using some form of directed energy. Instead, officials say there's more evidence that foreign countries were not involved. Attorney General Merrick Garland was on Capitol Hill today where he told the Senate Judiciary Committee more needs to be done to stop fentanyl from being sold to young people on social media. More from ABC's Ann Flaherty. Garland grew emotional in his testimony, talking about the number of children and young adults dying of fentanyl overdoses. The cartels that are uh, creating these pills uh, and that are distributing them within the United States uh, are, are the most horrid individuals uh, you can imagine. He said the U.S. government needs a way to force social media companies to help law enforcement track down illegal transactions and to prevent algorithms from promoting the dangerous pills. And Flaherty, ABC News, Washington. Searchers have found a long-lost Great Lakes ship that came to a tragic end. Officials with the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary in Alpena say that they've located the Iron Ton, a freight schooner that plunged, plunged to the bottom of Lake Huron in 1894. The Iron Tongue collided with another vessel in rough seas. Reports at the time said the seven-member crew scrambled into a lifeboat, but it was tethered to the ship and was pulled down. Five crewmen died. Underwater video shows the well-preserved Iron Tongue upright at the lake bottom with the lifeboat still attached. Divers will be able to visit the wreckage when preparations are finished. Pharmaceutical giant Eli Lilly will cut the price of its most commonly prescribed insulin products by 70% an expanded program that caps patient costs at $35 per month. That's according to the company as of today. 
ABC's Karen Travers has reaction from President Biden. President Biden in a statement calls the Eli Lilly announcement a, quote, big deal, saying that for far too long, quote, American families have been crushed by drug costs many times higher than what people in other countries are charged for the same prescriptions, noting that insulin costs less than $10 to make, but that Americans sometimes pay more than $300 for it. The president calls that, quote, flat wrong. Mr. Biden takes some credit for Eli Lilly's move, saying he called on pharma companies to lower the price for the drug after signing the Inflation Reduction Act into law, which lowered the cost of insulin for seniors. Karen Travers, ABC News, the White House. The Ukrainian military might pull troops back from the key stronghold of Bakhmut. That's according to an advisor to Ukraine's president. The remarks today suggested Russia could capture the eastern city that's become a symbol of Ukrainian resistance. Kremlin forces have waged a bloody, months-long offensive to take Bakhmut. The city of salt mines has become a ghost town. And a young American and recent graduate of Columbia University is the latest victim in a new cycle of violence between Israelis and Palestinians. Ilan Ganales, a Jewish-American who grew up in the Northeast, has had taken Israeli citizenship and volunteered in the Israeli army, serving as a computer programmer. He returned to finish college in the U.S. and was back in Israel for a friend's wedding that he never made after a Palestinian drive-by shooting. Israel says they found his killers. ABC's Jordana Miller is more from Jerusalem. Israeli security forces arresting two Palestinians suspected of gunning down 26-year-old American Alain Ganelis Monday in his car near the Dead Sea. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu praising the quick arrest of what he called the terrorists near Jericho. They are believed to be linked to the militant group Hamas. The news of finding the suspected gunman came as Alain, a native of Connecticut, was being laid to rest here in Israel, a country his heartbroken family said he fell in love with and hoped to make his home. Jordana Miller, ABC News, Jerusalem. WSJM News Now continues with your weather forecast.